0: hey joe hello how are you <laughs> i'm great cool. i'm well I, you know I'm, I'm all right i'm a, i'm all right i, I uh... you're reminding me of the title of that movie the kids are all right you know and that's um that's that the net benning in that movie that's I think the ongoing was. title of a series of atrios posts
1: oh the kids are all right
0: yeah against like old economy steve types who mm. who say you know kids these days right Uh, which is maybe my least favorite genre of, of editorial writing. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah. The kids are all right. Kids are all right. We're all right. It's tough to be a kid these days. I think it
1: is. I think it's tough to be a lot of things these days, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. Uh,
2: Uh,
0: but yeah, I think we had a little bit of feedback left over. We're just, it's just going to be you and me today. We're going to talk about, I think you wanted to talk about, well, I wanted to talk about something you wrote. We're not going to get to that today. We're going to talk about this one thing that I wrote and, yeah. and then maybe some other topics. We got a little bit of feedback. I also wanted to talk about this, um, this thing that happened last night with the attack on Syria, the cruise mm. missiles, and maybe not much, but let's get to that in a second. Um, I just wanted to kind of highlight a couple of legal issues, but <sighs> anywho, well, you see, I I don't know. My voice is at least my head. I don't know if my voice expresses this is, is like in a, in a, in a fog I feel like mm. I'm in a cloud.
1: Well, sip your coffee. Let okay. me uh, set up one of our mailbag items, listener okay. Russell.
0: Excellent, uh, long time listener.
1: Yeah, was commenting on our uh, Federalism Palooza conversation with Professor Bullman Posen, and wanted to highlight an example. Boy, she was she was fun in that the was conversation.
0: Great. great paper, right?
1: Uh, very much. And and he, what struck him was a was something that had been happening in the news as as part of the uh, consideration of. A, a repeal and replace of the affordable care act by House Republicans uh ha- including a provision that would change the way uh medicaid and related things are financed in New York state is New York state has this procedure where the state gets contributions from counties right uh, rather than just handling their their Medicaid expenditures at the state level only, which I guess is so a So Medicaid's
0: a cost-sharing program. The federal government gives the, the state a bunch of money, but then the state has to come up with some of its own money. Yes, I think that's true across
1: the board. And in, and in New York, the way they tackle that is to get contributions
0: from counties as such. Rather than just doing it all through income Not doing tax. it all at the yeah. state
1: budget level. Right. And af- apparently this is an irritant, it, uh, according to Russell, and I have no reason to disagree with him, um, this is something of an irritant to uh, upstate counties, which tend to be Republican in their uh, party identification. And as against downstate counties which tend to be democratic counties
0: so <laughs> new york has a relatively interesting local government mix right mm. it's a bit yeah it's a bit of a cluster bubble um, it has some counties like you would think of normal <laughs> right? counties in the United States, and then it has like one county which is bigger than like a bunch of states put together right and <laughs> this which is, is, true. is more complicated than many states
1: this is true uh, and so of new course, york
0: city is sui generis in just about every sense of the word
1: and, and it covers more than one county
0: yeah uh, it's not it's so, uh, well, it's bur- once you get into boroughs, I get confused. I'm sure we got some New York listeners <laughs> who would be just aghast at my relative ignorance right. of that small patch of land on which well, so much I think, happens. Well, for
1: example, I think Queens, uh the borough of Queens, I think it is is also a county, Queens County. And I think there is a Kings County, etc. So, in any event, let's let's not get let's into not get the, in the weeds there, um, okay? The naming conventions around steer the New York ship, City. Joe, steer us around w- these rocky shoals. The, which, which ri- the complexity which rivals that of, of you know, England, the United Kingdom, Great Britain. Like what do the, all these things refer to? Right? Well, We're that, not doing that.
0: That's about to get a lot
1: simpler. So With- let's not even <laughs> – <laughs> Right. Uh, so he makes the point that this uh, draft legislation was going to, among other things, uh, alter this funding mechanism in New York State. As a matter of federal law, right, that the federal statute was going to say, we don't want that funding mechanism to be used in the way we're dealing with Medicaid. Uh, So in other words, as Russell describes it, Republican state legislators are working with Republican federal legislators to accomplish an objective they could not accomplish working with Democratic state legislators. So they're jumping to a different level right. in the federalism structure to try
0: to accomplish some political objective. How interesting! Um, and I think this—have people written about this in general? Like this idea, and it's a—it's an aspect of polarization, a term that, as I told you earlier in the week, I think is more appropriately described differently. But, but just let's just call it polarization right now in a in a party polarized society where party has an identity that's that strings all the way from the federal level maybe even down to the city level these days and at least in some cities Um, have people i'm just unfamiliar do you know if people have written about like like trans-federal cooperation in order to achieve substantive purposes and uh, let me translate that like if i'm a legislator at a particular level whether it's state local whatever and i want to do something but i'm blocked because i'm in the minority to what extent and on what kinds of issues do I work with people at other levels to achieve my objectives when well, they're in the majority? Yeah,
1: as I mentioned in in our conversation with with Jessica Bowman Posen, a, a, a different paper of hers, which is called "Unbundling Federalism," mm-hmm. m- makes uh, points about the partisan party ID the party ID dimension, right? The way that it cuts across right uh, layers of government now in a way that makes this sort of jumping levels to accomplish objectives a, a sort of a useful strategy she talks about that in that paper did in she the con- talk
0: about it in that because I've heard people talk about you know the 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 part is it partisanization of uh, of like local races where someone you know someone will run on an issue that is a that is a high party id issue like abortion at' say the local level even though it's almost completely irrelevant to local politics right and this is so so i know that there's stuff that's written about that and um i'm just wondering if there are good like case studies of this kind exactly the kind of thing russell is talking about maybe she addresses that in that paper i've not read it so. i think
1: she addresses a a some examples that are adjacent russell's example okay and uh and it is an interesting it's definitely an interesting phenomenon that uh invites the, one to rethink federalism and how it operates on the ground in the real world today right uh, that if you if you wind up a, we were contrasting a sort of schoolhouse rock approach to federalism with a, an approach that's sensitive to the fact that if you don't talk about parties in the united states and how they operate and how they influence different layers of government and why you know R- Republican officials in state A might feel more aligned with Republican officials in the national government than they do with other officials in state A, which is sort of contrary to the schoolhouse it, rock model. Exactly. And more right. than
0: feel, they actually – their business gets done by negotiating across levels with their party compatriots rather right. than with the people across the aisle from them at their particular Correct. level uh, of government.
1: and. and especially where you're in the minority in one location and the majority in the other. I mean, contrary-wise, you can imagine Republican federal officials in, an, in a period where uh, the Democratic Party is in control of m- most or all the levers of power in Washington. You can imagine them affiliating with Republican state officials who have right. the governorship and the legislature at a state level. So it you can run in both directions, and it's, again, the, the underlying point is if you don't talk about party and the functions of parties in the U.S. and getting things accomplished, you're missing a big part of the picture. Yeah. So you need to talk about that. Yeah. Interesting. Russell is frustrated that this is uh, one of the things that can be going on, but I think it's just a testament to the grip, uh, among other things, of the schoolhouse rock model that, they, that these are jarring.
0: These can seem jarring when you first see them. And because of the conceptual them. model we operate is, is, is schoolhouse it th- rocks. It's like these are isolated levels of government. What's going on in right. one level? It's surely effective, but the idea and the state folk
1: are going to stick together as against the national folk. They're not going to do this crazy sort of uh, you know uh, uh, what is that square dancing? They're not going to do some kind of crazy square dancing moves where they're going to go and they're picking the national folk over the state folk and all that stuff. That's not going to happen in that
0: model. That there's 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 kind of trans level porosity of bargaining, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Interesting, and that's because that's how people get stuff done. Yeah. that's what people want. Yeah. <laughs> they want to get stuff. They want to get their preferred policy positions put into place. It's not uh-huh. surprising. at all what that a great level.
0: example from Listener Russell. That's good. Did so, you want to? Is there more to it?
1: No, okay. Listener Joel. Um, there was more to it. It was a
0: lengthy email. It was but it very was lengthy. Email, a lot though, of food but for thought. the
1: details went into the, the the specifics of New York State. Right. And there's and there's a lot of news coverage of that fun, of that thing when it was happening if people want to go read that stuff i would encourage them to read it because there was when this popped up in this federal statute with this uniquely new york state law issue right right so and and russell so one more point from russell and again i think a source of frustration uh potentially uh by definition virtually everyone in congress is voting on a state law question in which neither they nor their constituents have any
0: direct interest
2: yeah
1: because they don't live in New York, mm-hmm. a- and that
0: seems odd. It's right? even more like I'm thinking of the issues about the governance of D.C., which have become like nationally partisanized. Partisanized. I don't think it's a word. Although but you know that's what I mean. been that's, that's a longstanding. Yeah, example. that's yeah, interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. About uh, D.C. has long been in that position. Uh, I think there is some some literature in which it had been referred to as the last plantation, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it was uh, it's it's under federal control, right? Uh, in a in a deep and real way, uh, there is a, a home rule approach that created the D.C. City Council, and there is a D.C. Mayor, and uh, so there is a local government. There is local courts, right. but but Congress has this sort of veto um, that it gets itchy and uses right. uh, when D.C. does things, usually in some uh, sort of prominent social policy
0: matter. And it's interesting because the rural tilt of Congress, owing to the the right. way that districts are done and the way that and the electoral college, kind of the combination of those things create, you know, DC is a is an interesting like friction point, right? Because it's clearly an urban area. Right. It, and it's also on this interesting border between the North and South. Although I think that border has shifted South with right. the right, with Northern Virginia. <laughs> I also now, think but, the
1: New York thing is worse in the sense that, you know, when, when members of Congress are voting on a, on a matter that is ultimately a matter of local district of Columbia governance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those, the, those, People in Congress, like, they work in the district. Yeah. Um, they spend a big chunk of their time there, even if they don't live there, or if they try to make it appear as if they don't live there. Uh, the, their staffers often live there or live nearby. Um, so there's a sense in which they're not voting on something utterly foreign to where they live and work and do their business. Right? Right. Whereas if Congress is voting on something that's a matter of New York State County financial relations people who aren't in the new york delegation who are voting on that there's a kind of a odd remove right that again makes makes it's i would say is is very difficult to conceive much less understand uh in the absence of knowing something about party politics once you put party politics in the mix it's much less mysterious Hmm. Right. Because there are Republicans in and outside of New York and there are Democrats in and outside of New York. And of course, they're going to win at the level
0: of the federal legislature. This could be somewhat transactional, like help me out here in New York state yeah. and I'll help you in your district. But It seems like the D.C. is like, like no one's going to win an election in a district in Kansas because of a. Because of a moral issue, they took on an issue about the governance of D.C. I mean, it seems like that's going to be relatively low visibility. Probably, I mean, yes, you can take symbolic stands, but yeah. it just seems like it's going to be pretty weak in an election.
1: And I guess military bases is an is an item where you you could wind up voting. It looks like you're voting on something that's happening in state X, but it's going to have an effect on state Y where you where you're a representative or a senator, right. Because you've got a base like that in your state too. But
0: that also is one of those issues w- which is transactional, like the New York one, that, right? That's right. You help me here; I will help you there. Right, and that—that's why we need the base realignment and closing commission to right. kind of just—we all agree we need to put a stop to these transactions, right. tragedy of the commons. But blah, if blah, you blah. think—if
1: you think Republican members of Congress who are from New York are, generally speaking, to the left of Republican members of the House who are from the point you were just making, yeah. the Southern states, for example, right—you can understand why you might need to states. induce them a little bit to join this more conservative repeal and replace strategy. Yeah. all with, right With um, you know, the uh this New York State mechanism. Wow. So are a lot more time four, on that. There are about four one.
0: papers that could be written based on the yeah. starting with Russell's example or another example. You know, there's a lot that could be said.
1: Listener Joel, um among other things, uh asks if I have knitted microphone cozies out of the yarn that he sent us you remember he sent us that yarn. I do
0: remember, and I do remember. Did, now, did we... I, I, thought I, I, was, I haven't played back the tape yet to know whether you promised you would do that.
1: I, my recollection is that I was going to make us hats. Oh. Now, I have not done any of these things. I will say in my defense that <laughs> it has been a warmer winter.
0: And so, wait, so the microphones need less protection? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no. But you were thinking hats all along is what you're saying.
1: I think I was thinking hats all along, but here's my point. Knitting wool is less pleasant in warmer war- weather than in colder weather. Now, the, the, the sort of general <laughs> level observation to make is that I picked a poor place to live in respect of this. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I should be living in New Hampshire uh, to fully indulge my knitting, uh, uh, my knitting pleasure, and my my knitting. Wait, do, we, do we bracket? Do we
0: put in the little bumper of Joe's Knitting Corner? We haven't, but okay. we could do. Wow, well, I'll drop that. Uh, one we in.
1: Could, And it wouldn't. It needs to be musical, but it also needs to have little clicking sounds in it. So that oh, yeah, it's look, like knitting needles that yeah. are clicking together. Yeah, it's anywho, a little, uh,
0: for a little AMSR. Yeah, so it's yeah.
1: it's a little warmer here, and so I knit less here than I would knit other places. At least where wool is concerned, and knitting with cotton is not as pleasurable. no oh, obviously, linen is not as pleasurable. Obviously, so any knitter, any experienced knitter, I think would tell you that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear wool that all has a the springiness time. to it that just makes it more pleasant to deal mm-hmm. with okay. in any event. Sorry, listener uh, Joel. I have a, I'm a failure in this, as in so many things. Um, I, have, I have not yet knitted for us um, microphone cozies, hats, or any other objects. I can.
0: St- the microphones are are naked.
1: They are uh, just as naked as the day they
0: were born. Um, well, I don't know about that. I, they, you know. <laughs> so, listener Nicholas. Wait, you're just going to skip over that? Or you're not going to make a renewed commitment to do this? Or? No. Well, who would believe it? <laughs> well, uh, uh, We could post a picture. You know, we could, I could include that in the show notes if yeah. you promise that you will. Are we going to get microphone cozies at some point? <laughs> That's all I want to know. <laughs> no. We're not? No. We, we might get
1: hats for, for us, which we could call head cozies instead oh. of calling them hats. I guess
0: I... we could take a picture and post that. Otherwise, I think it's a total betrayal of, our, of, of listener Joel. I'm standing up for listener Joel. You make a fair point. it cost me nothing to do yeah, so right here. Yeah, Talk
1: is cheap. <laughs> What's that? You know, just, talk <laughs> is cheap, especially when you don't have to knit the <laughs> knit the darn hats.
0: But, but I But will, you've not used the wool. The wool is still waiting to be used. The, okay. The
1: wool and, and wool, um, uh, at least if it's kept safe from the proverbial um, moth egg uh, and the resulting caterpillar, uh, mm-hmm.
0: wool lasts it's a good long time. Is there an actual proverb time. about this? Okay. Hmm? All right. No, that's okay. It's Okay. What what do you got next?
2: <laughs> so annoying.
1: <laughs> uh, so listener Nicholas, one of the many listeners Nicholas. Mm-hmm. That's a good band name, listeners Nicholas.
2: Who uh, writes in? Okay, to say, uh, and, and he's he, he the, the
1: the subject line is uh, regarding submarine statutes. So oh. it's interesting because we mentioned it last time, but we're talking about it today.
0: I guess we are, yeah. So we might. <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah. It's we're in, we're five hours in now, so right. I don't know whether we're going to get to it. Uh, right. But, right. Um, in any event, uh, so and you can tell listener Nicholas is very much a listener because his the body of his email. I'll just read. Do, it Do to you plan on reading the body of the I email? Do, I do. Okay. Okay. I just want to make if, sure if you'll stop interrupting.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, quote. Based off this episode, <laughs> yeah, I, this email. So yeah, I yeah. this email. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. really twisting the knife. Oh yeah, he he's, is. He's jabbing it in and giving it a good. He's hard referring twist. to
0: our our grammar, like our acknowledgement that we are old man grammarians at this oh, point. Yeah. Based
1: off this episode, and I could just, just listener Nicholas, so that you know, my eyes are actually bleeding right now because I had to read that. So thank you for that. Okay, I've literally got blood coming out my eyeballs. <laughs> And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to look, read through that mist of red fluid based off this All episode. Right, we, we've
0: read one sentence now. Let's, what I've else read we one have. phrase.
1: Oh, right. Based yeah, of off this it's episode, comma. Yeah. I began wondering how we could figure where our laws are going to. <laughs> <laughs> and where is misspelled. Uh, next paragraph. Okay, seriously. Has anyone used supercomputers to simulate the effect of a law prior to enactment? Please tell me I'm the first person to think of this. That would be awesome. Uh, I, I think you are not, Nicholas, uh, or, or Nick, if you prefer, uh, the first person to think of that in the following sense. Um, uh, I think people have actually written about the, the sort of the, the, the processing problem posed by trying to look to text and uh, sort of pair it and, and parse it with other text. And the the comp, sort of the computational load explosion uh, that that comes from trying to do something like that. For example, our former colleague Christina Mulligan uh, has written about that. I think in the patent context, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you tried to uh, using software kind of parse and compute all of the patent claims and what they mean and what the boundaries of them are and all that stuff, that you'd sort of basically you're talking about something that would. Uh, that wouldn't be done before the heat death of the universe in, in essence yeah. right if you're trying to estimate mathematically uh, what it would be like to do this with with sort of just brute a brute force attack on the problem where you're where you're using some I sort would of, transform
0: the question a little bit. Okay cool
1: What's your, uh, well? So why don't you transform the question well, and use that as a segue to our discussion Well, the broad, because statues. the
0: broad question the effect you know use a su- supercomputer to predict the effects of a law calls for kind of a reality simulator Like, you know, so one way you could predict the effects of a law is you could model all human brains using molecular dynamics. Like, this is way, way, way beyond our capacities, right? Well, that's true. So the the question really implies, have people created models of effects and models of incentives created by statutory text that can be run on supercomputers to do a... A better than, a better job than heuristics at predicting what will happen after passing a law. So, I mean, you, you just can't, we're not going to model all the atoms in the universe. So, in any, mo, in, any computation of the effects of a law, it presumes that what you've actually programmed is some kind of behavior that you want to observe and you want to, and you want to model the change in that behavior after the passage of some law, right. which means you also have to model how the entities that you're, that you're modeling, right? You right. have to model how the entities that you're modeling will uh, respond to that kind of change. True. So for example, yeah, lots of people have done this kind of thing like a change in tax law. How will a change in tax law affect the mix of investments that people make right. between you know, whether it's debt or equity or starting a business or something else. I mean, people model a, this kind of thing all the time. You know,
1: tax is an especially good example because, you know, another thing been in the news recently was this, all, the, all the kerfuffle and all about uh, actually something that is quite important, which is um,
0: you know, I don't give you credit for falderall, all by the way cuz you use that word all the time. Oh, I do. Yeah, I don't give you you remember the vocabulary thing from the oh, other right, week. Yeah, right. I don't give you credit for raising my level. Not because, a problem. Yeah. Okay.
1: Not a problem. I wasn't counting on that one anyway. <laughs> the uh, the Congressional Budget Office, uh CBO for short. Yeah. Uh and its role in scoring legislation, so-called scoring, which is determining what are the effects on things like revenue to the tax right. system. Uh, outflows from the Treasury um, based on changes in law, that's a way to try to give some...
0: uh, I mean, their whole job is to do what
1: Put some information in the Lister conversation Nicholas about asked. what yeah. it means
0: to pass this statute, right? right? Now, or, or what will be the effects on these variables of passing this statute? Right, right. Best I said we can some anticipate. information right. about what it means. Some right. of
1: what it means is the effect it has on these right. uh, on these parameters in which uh, people are, are interested and, and the role of this – the creation of the CBO and the role of the CBO in allowing legislators to begin to, again, give some content to do, do I know what it will mean to vote for this? Right. Yeah, I have some information about some of the things it will mean to vote for this, and that's important because I ought to know what I'm voting on when I vote for it. So it, it, I ought to be able to understand so that I can make a judgment about whether I approve or disapprove th- that it will have this effect on the budget That, right. it, that it, because it will affect revenue in this way and spending in that way, and that will feed into the larger system of our, our indebtedness, both an annual deficit and a long-term debt situation you sort of do all these calculations give me a 10-year snapshot um, you know that's a that is a form of estimation for this sort of stuff and it's not a supercomputer it's a regular old computer well, and it's people well, I mean, who are very good it, from right, experience it depends of doing on the complexity of the
0: model and the kind of question asked right so, so you would need a supercomputer depending on whether the model will yield equations which you need that kind of computing power to solve there are, right. so, so the law for, for, for a long time, probably even before the legal realists, but certainly with the rise of legal realism and economic analysis of law and law and economics, has translated human behavior into, into models which are susceptible of calculations so that we can say more. So the rational actor model in law and economics, yeah. is central, right, is, is key to the ability to make kind of consequentialist decisions about law. All I mean by that, it's not, I, I said it too, in, a, in, too, in a too complicated way, but all I mean by that is if you assume that people are rational ca- uh, capitalist calculators, that what they do is they have preferences, and usually those are somewhat acquisitive preferences, and they seek to maximize them, then maybe one person is kind of like another, you can model their preferences as just maybe increasing right. happiness or increasing the amount of money, whatever it is. Then you can do things like, well, what, what would be the effect of rent control? And if we control rent, then you can say, well, people who have, who want to increase the amount of money they have, but already have houses. If we put in place a rent control, the, the marginal uh, potential landlord might be induced to use that property in kind rather than put it out onto the market, onto the rental market if the price is controlled below a certain level so the so the supply of rental housing will contract with rent that's the typical kind of law and economics reasoning right sure that's a, now I didn't use a supercomputer to say that I kind of used some heuristics about right. marginal you know but you could right we could develop a we could develop a more sophisticated model sure. by modeling the you know by saying something about the existing housing stock uh putting in place an equation about how a marginal potential landlord might be induced to offer property. and we could I don't know what equations would come out of that, but they'd be something, and then we would use numerical analysis to translate those equations into something which is susceptible to, you know, basically matrix algebra that you can put into a computer and solve, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you would need a supercomputer to do that. But what's interesting is the core of that exercise involves simplifying the universe to something that we can calculate, right? Because until you do that, you can't put anything into a supercomputer. And that's the the essence of... Right, the only
1: model of the world that hasn't been simplified is the world itself, Right. If, if right. the model were as complicated as the world, it it, it would be the world. It is the world. Uh, this is sort of a Synecdoche, New York point. That, right. yeah. that movie. Um, <laughs> Great movie. Uh, uh, so, so, yeah, take it as read that when we use the word model, we mean we're talking about a, sim- a, a way of simplifying
0: things to try to get some traction in. I have at, some interesting thought. I, mean, I don't know if they're interesting, but I have some thoughts about what you just said that okay. are about whether the model of the whole world would be the world. It's, that's actually interesting. I don't we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> but 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 central to a what you might call a consequentialist understanding of law that that in, in if we want to make law we should be concerned with making that law which leads to the best consequences. And yes, we could have theoretical disagreements about what are the best consequences, but but that implies that a conscientious lawmaker will be making some judgments about what those consequences are likely to be, which means that he or she will have a model because he or she can't resort to, you know, using a crystal ball. Right. So we'll have some model of the effects in which we are interested, we think are most salient and that we will do something. Now, oftentimes like before computers, uh, and even now with computers, we use a lot of like human heuristics, like, well, this will probably lead to that. This will probably lead to that. So there's kind of some, uh, casual modeling that goes on, which is just kind of head modeling. if you like, right, like, well, if we wouldn't place rent control, then, you know, or price controls, then sellers won't come onto the market, right? Because we'll never reach the kind of demand clearing price and and therefore we'll, we'll be supply constrained, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, that's just this kind of casual head modeling that.
1: And there are other bodies of law that in the, in the law and economics sort of uh, thoroughfare of the last several decades. um, You know, there are some uh, antitrust laws, an area of law that, that has been heavily, heavily influenced by uh, this form of, thinking and modeling yeah. and in a more, you know, done in a more rigorous context, right? Sometimes. That, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean a, a lot compared to not doing it at all. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, the baseline I'm using is where you don't try to be consistent or rigorous in the way you're modeling it uh, versus trying to, to do stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you look at whether it's merger analysis or, uh, other fate you know there are some things that haven't changed much uh the sort of uh horizontal coordination price fixing other sorts of things those are felonies <laughs> they have been understood well to be felonies for a very long time you don't need a, a fancy economics theory to t- to tell you about that um where you want to put the bar on uh your readiness to stop a merger from taking place what level of concentration in a market should be a triggering level of concentration, that might be much better informed by some more rigorous studies and analysis and modeling of response, et cetera.
0: And once you go down this road, you got to be concerned with garbage in, garbage out. Like either you're, you know, how confident are you about your data? How sensitive is your model to accuracy of data? Uh, But also garbage model in, garbage results out, right? So if you're- Good point. If you're- Model of human beings as rational capitalist calculators, right? Just people walking around thinking, "How can I make more money?" With every like, and you're and you're modeling a, like a family. That model is probably going to fail, right? Because because <laughs> right. I can tell you, intra-family dynamics are both much more generous and much more spiteful, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> than the than the model than 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 yeah. a kind of capitalist model would. would it's predict. a better
1: or it's a better or worse first cut on the thing, depending on the thing you, about which you're making the model. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. So where does that leave us? Well, it's um I don't know. I said use it as a segue into your 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 submarine statutes paper. I guess one way one way you could use it as a way into that is you you were you were making assertions about a, a legislator using a model to make a reasoned assessment and reasoned judgment about what a law's passage will mean, mm-hmm. like what will its consequences be? And and Another set of questions you could raise about that and therefore a set of concerns you might bring to that, the, those questions about a, a legislator's reason, judgment in favor of or against uh, enacting a certain statute it sort of all presupposes that uh, the transmission belt between <laughs> these are the words in the statute, this is the effect in the world, is, is at least direct enough so that people have a reasonable sense yeah, of how to, it operates.
0: I didn't want to rely on that too much. And so we should go back and define what I mean by submarine statutes and, and okay. what the problem is in a second. But the, the at its core, and this relates to a lot of my work now, I, I'm thinking of the difference between a decision maker, which could be something you would kind of stick into a model of a legal system, right? That the difference between a decision maker and some artificial source of information i mean some some natural source of information in the world what's the difference between a decision maker and a pulsar right or a or a volcano right i mean b- both of those create information right uh, all of those things create information but a but a decision maker which could be and i'm thinking of also robotics and other things sure, like sure. in the back of my mind a decision maker is something that takes in information processes it in some way right which is is familiar to us or which seems like it is an act of sifting. But again, it could be a robot, which is acting according to algorithm, or a human, which is also acting according to natural processes, but in less predictable ways. Um, Although we could cabin those ways with law. And then putting out some information, right? Taking in information, processing it in some way, which is like humanly familiar And then putting out new information, right, that where that new information is supposed to guide some conduct in the future. That seems to me the essence of decision making and distinguishes a decision making source of information from a from a natural source of information, not because I don't think human beings are, are, are natural. I think we are. But but it distinguishes. Um. Uh, what we might expect from someone charged with making a decision from just some random fluctuation in the world, and and so at the core of the theory, and we can come back to it and get and see why I think this is important. But I think a desiderata, a desideratum, I guess of of like legislative decision making, judicial decision making, whatever, is that the person has taken an in information and reasoned. Right. This is why rational basis review. Like at the very bottom, there has to be at least some we could at least uh, affix some, like, rational um, mechanism on how a legislator got to a particular solution. Like, we always want there to be some level of processing there. And if that isn't there, then we can say, has any decision actually been made? And, and the very thing you would want in a legislature, ultimately, is that they're making decisions on the basis of information. Yeah. And we can either agree or disagree with those decisions.
1: So, But I, but I take it you would find it objectionable if... Um, who cares if you find it objectionable would it be a re- would it be reason decision making if it were based on coin flips i mean that's a way to process information right um i got i someone sent me a big document and they asked me whether i like it or not and so i went into my office i flipped a coin and i walked back out of my office and i said the word yes or the word no based on the coin flip no that's not the kind of thing you're talking about no why not
0: Uh, because the, the information that you output is the result of, of, of a process that we, that is, is not, that we don't associate with human processing, right? It's not, I'm trying to stay away from, from kind of some like trans, um, uh, some, some, some kind of transcendent notion of rationality here, because I do believe that. We have algorithms going on in our head in a certain way. So I, so so there are like a lot of coin flips going on in our head, right? Okay, but, fair enough. So, so I get where you can lead me and box me in with that. I'm not but, trying to lead well, or no, box I, I know anywhere. I'm but, trying to get to right.
1: – trying to, to, to try make some distinctions. But, Cause so, cause but, were but I'll go, go further talking a though. very high level yeah, of conceptual yeah, 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 generality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, was, what, what,
0: so so – so, so, But what I would say is that, so suppose a legislature is trying to come up with a a bill or or a particular point on a bill, like we could go with policy A or policy B on this part of it, and we can't really, you know, we're, we're having trouble, and ultimately we want to pass the bill, so we flip a coin. So the decision to flip a coin was a reasoned decision based on all the information before it, right? Okay. And so that's a situation where the output is the... I would say, is the result of a reasoned process. It's, you can say they made a decision, even though that decision involved a coin flip, but that coin flip is explicable, right? I mean, they, in the context of the broader decision.
1: Yeah, and you can imagine contexts where uh, using a coin flip, for example, what if in a popular election for a particular government office, it turned out that the vote really was tied. Right. And you needed a winner. There needs only one person can hold the office. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you're not going to, run the vote again, right? You've got, these were the votes cast lawfully on the day for casting votes. And so, and they happen to be equal in number. <laughs> we yeah. have, to, have to decide. You could, you could put in a legal rule in place. You'd hope you'd done this beforehand, but you put in a legal rule just because it will avoid all kinds of problems to have done that. But you just put in places or just flip a coin, yeah. right? That's the decision. That's how we decide who who gets the office this, this time around. Uh, but you can imagine other contexts where, for example, I think if you I think my recollection about the. Uh, hopefully, it's correct. Um, but my recollection is, if you were to learn that a jury in a criminal case decided the funny, verdict this funny way, you bring this up. This yeah, would be ahead. completely unacceptable, right? The, they could, they can deliberate and make decisions, and they can be wrong about all kinds of things, a, and that would not undermine the the legal. Do you validity. remember the name of the
0: case? I don't. The Supreme Court just decided a case where the uh, the jury decision was infected with racial animus there i don't remember the jur- name of the case right? i, I forget they- too, we just discussed it in my supreme court discussion yeah. group and one of the cases they cite there right is is a very old english case
1: oh i didn't know this in, in which it in which the,
0: the there was extrinsic evidence that the jury had decided by lots and gosh who's the famous judge um if it's not Blackstone, who is it? It's Mansfield. Not, not, I think it was Mansfield, actually. Yeah. I think it was Judge Mansfield. <laughs> it's got to be Lord Cook or yeah, – Yeah, I was going to say, but I, I think – Blackstone it, or Mansfield. Almost positive this is Mansfield, but uh, maybe uh, – but said that, we, that the, it, the court cannot read that affidavit is kind of the language that he used, right? In other words, it's, this information is not – can't be taken in by a court because uh if it is then it's kind of the end of the jury because then we start to inquire into their rationality and more Well variety. that's a separate
1: matter but but I because I because but I think but, well, yes, the question whether yeah. you let your yourself whether you will let yourself know a thing is is one issue the other issue though is assume you will let yourself know it would it undermine your your Take on the validity of that verdict. And absolutely, I would say, and I think you'd say it's absolutely an invalid verdict, right? So if so, it's so, reached one, in that way, that's so it's the opposite of reason. It's
0: one thing to say we have a jury system, which is flawed, but we can't think of something better. Which I think is about all you can say for the jury system, personally, well, right? Well. That like you know it's the worst system we have, other than anything else you can come up with. Maybe that may be the best defense. Maybe. I have some, you know, this is we talked about this like last week. I'm interested in whether that's actually true, but but um, but if we knew, for example. That almost all juries were using coin flips, right? Even if we had a rule that we don't go in and look – don't tell us what you were – like and even if you come in and tell us you were flipping coins, we can't use that to undermine the verdict because of policies A, B, and C about finality, et cetera, et cetera, like yep. all the things that you'd normally cite. You would say as a, as a systemic matter – we need to get rid of this jury system. we got to do a different system because right. we've put in place a rule where the decision makers that we charge with making a decision and we charge our them to make a decision because they have properties A, B, and C, right? there. jury of the peers and they're less likely to be controlled or captured because they're called – all these right. reasons that we charge them. Like we had good reasons ex ante for setting up our institutional structure this way and we thought this would be a good institution to make this decision, the jury. But now that we see how they're making that decision, we realize we were wrong, right? Because they're not actually making decisions,
1: right? They're just fl- they're flipping coins. They're flipping
0: a coin, right? There's in other Which words, there's isn't not the a, same kind of thing. And and and, and reason decision making is too strong, I think, a, a phrase because it implies that you're going to, you know, comment on the quality of that reasoning. But I think even just the phrase, even just the term decision making, implies this process of taking in information, okay. processing, and outputting.
1: Now, at this pace. We might reach your paper by next week. Well, I, if we don't go to sleep, don't take bathroom breaks, don't eat anything, don't, so we can't. We need to a pick very, up the paper. It's page a very
0: here. short, twenty-page paper, right? And, and so, always, why are you talking about this well, you, aspect? You of started. It? Here. I didn't start. You this. started here. This is your crazy I, issue. Mm. This we, we, Be, because we, we, I think, I think, I think that. I think that. <laughs> I think that. Um,
1: Please go read Christian's paper. It's really good. Much better than this conversation would indicate.
0: (laughs) So I do not. So we're going to talk about uh, very briefly. We'll define this. This class of statutes, basically, which, you know, it's a statute that I passed today, which purports to affect the interpretation of statutes and affect the meaning of and affect the application of a whole class of statutes in the future. So a statute which says, like, and the core example I use is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which says that uh, basically grants exemptions from otherwise generally applicable law when it substantially interferes with religious exercise um, in a situation where there's not like a compelling governmental interest the other way. So there are all kinds of qualifications, but basically it lets people if they have religious reasons uh, to get out of otherwise right. generally applicable so laws. So
1: if I'm so if five years later I'm a legislator and I've got this draft statute in front of me and I'm thinking about whether I want to vote in favor of it or not, Mm -hmm. I might be trying to understand how it would apply to a range of considerations or range of scenarios that I think are important. Um, and in doing so, if I haven't thought through the possibility that some of those applications of the law will burden some people's free exercise rights, right. and I haven't thought through whether or not that interest in burdening it in that way would be compelling, and if there weren't some other less burdensome way to manage that issue, right. I don't really know what this law means yet. right, Because it, it what it means is encumbered by the background principle of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, otherwise... Affectionately known as RipRah, <laughs> right? Um, uh, uh, if I haven't thought that through, I don't actually know what it means yet, right? And so I'd be making a decision about not uh, uh, not understanding its meaning, right? Um, it would, it, it, and it's it's interesting this class of statutes that you indicate, right?
0: Submarine statutes, um, and I call them that because they they're there, right? In the, it's like they're it's like they're underneath the ocean, and the legislator is about to launch a new ship. And, and that right. new ship that they think is going to go somewhere is, in fact, going to be hit by a torpedo from one of these submarines, which is lying under the surface. Yeah, right?
1: I'm sort of – I'm in my nice Hobie cat on the surface <laughs> and I'm like yeah, – I'm in my catamaran. And I I'm know just, what I'm doing here. I'm kind We're of just, zooming yeah, around. Yeah. And I think if I set my course and I'm between here and there and then suddenly there's like stuff shooting out of the water <laughs> at my boat, like I'm not going to get where I All think right. I'm going. Yeah. Right? So it's hard to engage in, you know, goal-oriented plan – Orchestrated behavior, right? Which is which? Legislating should be, right.
2: and um, so
0: in the extreme, if if there were many, many, many such submarines, right? So if there's Rifra, there's there's a law which creates exemptions for some other reason. There's some other law which creates a bunch of uh, presumptive definitions. There's another law which guides interpretation in cases of ambiguity. Uh, maybe there are ten such laws, and so imagine a situation where there are just thousands of such laws, right? The, all of which, again,
1: purport to affect the way some future statutory enactment is interpreted and applied right. in, the, in the world after it itself right. gets passed.
0: So in a situation where there are thousands of such things on all kinds of topics and I'm trying to do something today, right, constitutionally, of course, I can say – None of the no, no, no other statute applies to this. This right. is meant to be. I can do that sort of thing. There's a cost to doing that. Like there's an institutional cost about because when because right. you, you basically are forcing a, a current legislature to reveal preferences about those pra- past acts. Yeah, and which,
1: I don't I don't think. I have to say that the 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 constitutional register for having the conversation about whether these statutes are are constitutional or not doesn't m- move me a whole lot. It uh, I I appreciate you can make arguments. Yeah, you yeah. can make arguments. I appreciate the point you just made that it forces the uh, uh, it forces legislators to develop and reveal preferences about the the effects of these prior statutes, right. but okay, I mean, I just don't see... That doesn't well, that's why, me is you know, rising to the level my of... My paper surveys very, very briefly some of those yeah.
0: entrenchment things, but, but, it, but it's you know, more directed to the better or worse idea. Would it be better to have legislatures yes. that work this way? Would it be worse to have... Which is the more interesting question, well, I think, I, I mean, for, I mean, for it's me a different question. Context, it's a so different it question. Yeah. And, um, so it is certainly different. So, <laughs> if there are thousands of such things, and you can't, for, for institutional reasons, just write on a clean slate, then what are you actually doing when you write new text? And the claim is that as you get more and more of these interfering things more of these existing statutes that are that are coupled right. with with any current statute meaning that you can't determine the one without the other right this right. is kind of programming lingo about kind of coupling and in, in the way you write code and it gets more it gets harder and harder to write code as the code base gets bigger and bigger and bigger unless you take steps to create object oriented code or do something yeah. else right so um then
1: to, to sort of modularize right.
0: things so that the interactions are are right more manageable then the grasp on meaning becomes less and less and less and ultimately in the extreme the legislator becomes like a natural source of information rather than a decision maker because there's no there's no decision being made because you can't rationally have formed an in- a present intention and and the claim in the paper is that this is this is bad right and and it's at least it's a cost right yes. it's a cost every time there's some cognitive load which makes it uh, which, which harms the ability of a legislator to form a present intention, that's an injury and an insult to lots of our existing interpretive theories. So I need not be an original intentionalist or anything like that to say that I actually want legislators to be able to make rational decisions. Sure. I, may not, I may not adjudicate law in a particular case, right based solely on what their intention was at the time or based on what other people thought their intention was, if I'm more like a public-meaning person, I, you know, yeah, how I, I incorporate that is— I think, you make yeah.
1: the, I think you make the point in the paper that pretty much no matter what your interpretive theory is, it would be strange for any interpretive theory to be utterly unconcerned about whether legislators uh, were or were not unable— to translate their intention into a te- into a body of text, right?
0: Whatever you do with statute. that intention, whatever right. you do with that intention, I think they all, uh, you know, I, th- I think all forms of interpretation depend on the idea that there was a decision made, and I won't even attach the word rational to it, but that legislators made a true decision, right? And yeah, rather you get than farther being a from decision, pattern of making. sticks on the beach, right? Right, trails st- of foul. This and all is a that, very yeah.
1: famous example of sticks on the beach and, and yeah. making. What looks like the word cat, right? It's the word cat is not on the beach is the way we understand these things and talk to one another about them. Right. right. Um, th- the word cat is not on the beach unless someone came along and put the sticks there to make the word cat. <laughs> if the waves came along and strew, and, strew, you know, put some sticks on the beach and they happened to look like the word cat. I think I think saying, "Oh, look, the waves spelled the word cat." That mm, you you just wrote a poem about the waves. <laughs> I you would actually
0: talk about. I would make different inferences w- about the world depending on what I knew about the source. If I knew someone spelled cat, that would say, "Hey, you know, there there are people who spelled cat. What does that mean, right? It, it could, yeah. you know, maybe there are cat lovers around here. You know, may, you know, who, maybe they're trying. Maybe they played a game of tic tac toe and they were right. spelling the result. I mean, <laughs> I could draw, this is, but this I can't is... draw inferences from the beach." chaotically spelling the and and haphazardly spelling the word cat other than yeah. wow you know lots of random processes happen in the world
1: yeah and it, and it, at that when it's the waves i guess it's no different uh depending on your theory of of you know simian mentation right it's no different from the monkeys and typewriters i mean eventually mm-hmm. they're gonna like Them long enough, and they'll spell some words. And those words could be a lot of those words on a page, and some of those pages will have lots of words. And right, it's not it's not script writing. They're not they're not writing Shakespeare's play.
0: Interestingly, you know, in models of law, the the other piece which goes more deeply into this idea of decision making, um, I do cite some literature about animal decision makers mm. right it, it, so robots animals very interesting about whether animals actually have legal systems and, and some probably do not mm. uh, under a certain understanding of legal systems because they have decision makers they do anyways uh, cool. but but you know monkeys typing out things which happen to be shakespeare they didn't have that intention like you know that that's basically right. a random process exactly right? yeah yeah so okay so, so we have these things and they so have if you have
1: these thousands of submarine statutes yeah. um they're making it, very, they're making it impossible you might worry
0: in that world where there are uh, thousands yeah, and,
1: yeah for for the legislator now one thing i thought about the paper which i enjoyed tremendously and is beautifully written um, among all its other uh, virtues oh thank you um, joe is um is it's sort of the an undiscussed component about it i think is uh, the the role the in, uh, an institutional perspective on the role of legislative staff mm mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there's a, there could be a, a, an, yet an additional component of it a political party. Right. Right. Because political parties could develop sort of some ready made senses and understandings of various components right Right. staff could develop those things um you talk at one point about sort of collecting these things in one volume for example Mm -hmm. one title of the u.s code where we would put stuff like this
0: which exists like the dictionary act and and related acts so the stuff in title one you could
1: say yeah these are some things we ought to move into title one because they have that characteristic to them right um so so there are some there are mechanisms like that that you that you begin to talk about but uh, but in essence, they're, they're, cost, um, they're cost management right. institutions, right? So, so they yeah. don't deny it's a cost. In a way, they acknowledge it's a cost and they say we need to find some way to manage this cost.
0: And in, in a way, courts are specialized institutions in, in dealing with such costs, right? So, um, so the kinds of things legislators have to be aware of in our current system. And, and and I don't think our current system is at the point of semantic crisis because of the number of submarines. I just you know, we have a few and I and I wanted to observe that RIFRA does something different than most statutes do. Mm-hmm. And there's this cost to it and we yep. should think about it. And right. we should think about like why that cost is acceptable. And I and I indicate some cost, like as you say, like collecting it is one, thinking of it like a constitutional provision is another, right. thinking of it like and a super statute is another it
1: is like it it is because of its relationship to employment division against Smith, it it it, our, it has a quasi-constitutional Character
0: which you talk about because you know Justice Roberts at oral argument actually said you know that he he referred (laughs) to it as a constitutional provision because it has a constitutional character. So a a conscientious legislator has to be aware of certain social facts against which he or she is legislating, and I I think one of those is like a set of norms about congressional behavior and a sense of federalism, right? A sense of how agencies work under the terms of the New Deal, but also like a sense of constitutional principles. Like I doubt, you know, any legislator could, could oh, not, not any, but I doubt most legislators could actually give you like text and verse of every provision of the constitution and exactly how it, each of them works. And because essentially the Supreme court isn't, is an organ that of the government that creates a common law of these, uh, of constitutional principles, right? It takes these principles and then expands them into a, right. a kind of thicker common law regime. And in, in most legislators, aren't going to be familiar with the details of that. Many are lawyers, but even a lawyer is not going to be familiar with every nook and sure. cranny of that of that common law regime of constitutionalism. But at least they have a sense of the principles. So if they're writing something which is going to affect speech in some way, you can send your staff to kind of figure out, like, well, what can we get away? with? They'll find the right cases, right? So they have institutional capacity to do that kind of like common law detection, right? Um, right. And uh, but and maybe
1: models that on the first pass are good enough to cap to capture a lot of the action right. that's at issue right. and about which they would be making reasoned decisions.
0: And that's partly because constitutional provisions and constitutional principles are, are A, clearly hierarchically superior. Like, I know that that's a source that I'm going to have to look at, right? right? And B, small in number, at least at the level of general principle, right? So I know, like, if, if I think I've got a heading about speech, I've, I've got like, you know, I don't know, 12... Uh, 12 or so volumes of, of, uh, of books on the, uh, on the shelf that I have to consult. Right. And if I write something in the area of like, I'm going to write a bill saying, boy, it's expensive to house our troops on these bases. Let's house them in people's houses. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, right. you know, there's a third, <clears throat> yeah, there's, yeah, uh, that, that very, very, very dusty tome about the quartering amendment may actually, you know, have to go there. So, but the point is that these principles at the, at a high level of generality are, are small in number. Um, Which is a virtue that many find in the federal constitution as against many state constitutions, which are essentially like a second track of statutes. But uh, – so putting that to one side so we can – So hold on. You said two things about
1: them. They're small
0: in number – what was the other one? Hierarchically superior. Hierarchically Clearly, superior. right. So you know you have to look to that set of sources.
1: And I think something that might be, if we were doing Venn diagrams, maybe there are three circles and there's an mm-hmm. over, there's a place where all three of them overlap. So I think they're not only hierarchically superior and small in number, but they're sort of, they're they're woven into the fabric of the culture in a yeah, way. Yeah, I was going to say- They're sort yeah. of, they're morally salient, not just legally salient. I was going yeah, to say, I think I say that hue hue in the paper hue. too, that they yeah, are socia- yeah.
0: they're socially intuitive Yeah, for- that you call Culturally intuitive for any – from from the many different facets of our culture, like anybody who's a legislator has been inculturated be to, into a constitutional culture.
1: And it makes it more likely that you'll be able therefore to, to – right. That your predictions about what the outcomes would be of doing this thing would be uh, good predictions. Right. Because they'll take – you have a feeling for how that works.
0: Whereas a random statute that says like somebody who sells used cars will be exempted from any tax regime that taxes commodities or something – you know, you can imagine weird statutes. Right. Which purport to affect future statutes that that, that have no – that first of all could be many a number – are you're are just on the same level at which you're operating so you have to take account of them and you wouldn't like intuit. there's nothing intuitive about such a provision right whereas with rifra it is somewhat intuitive that there would be some kind of minoritarian religious yep. protection it's just it took a different view than the current supreme court has taken right it right. Took, took the same view as the older although questionable <laughs> i don't want to get into that too much but um uh so 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 a a regime that creates a bunch of principles you have to look to at the same level creates a more, a thicker common law regime that you have to, um, that you've got to work at in order to create new meanings. And that's the kind of regime in which kind of common law courts find themselves. And this is why the connection with Dworkin, right? right, that the essence of the judge, right, is to be able to consult these voluminous materials and and extract from them principles and interpolate those principles to come out with an acceptable result, right? Now, there are many, many different notions of how a judge should engage in this work, but I think a lot of them will at least recognize the idea that a core competency of judging is to extract meaning from a a whole host of sources, right? I got to know what the precedent is, and there are many different decisions that could bear on that. That's kind of the essence of judging is to kind of Trudge through all of these materials which are at your same level of governance, right, and do some amount of interpolation, like whatever theory of interpolation you might have. Right. Whereas there's no reason to think that, that legislatures are particularly good at that, you know, Hercules, Dworkinian model of meaning creation.
1: Yeah, maybe not. Um, maybe another way to make the same point, although maybe it's a different point, maybe, but, but maybe a way to make the same point is um, th- this is, again, this is the imperative for, for staff. Right. Right. That legislators alone. Right. Individual human beings with the limitations of individual human beings at any given snapshot point in time. Right. Might not be very well suited to doing what you just described. Right. Right. But having, you know, a, a staff that supports the legislators, in fact, having a staff and some staff institutions that have much longer time spans. Right, mm-hmm. so you could have an office of legislative counsel, for mm-hmm. example, that gave advice about how to write
0: statutes. Speaking of the CBO earlier, right, an auxiliary right. So body which is specialized. Yes, CBO is one. Right. Uh,
1: legislative we could call them a the Congressional
0: Hercules in... Office.
1: Yeah, but it's a, but it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting explanation. But, for... but you know
0: what? So one thing that courts do though is when they extract when they interpolate meanings, they're doing it from real cases where the principles are running up against real things, right? And the, and the one thing courts eschew are advisory opinions. Right. The idea yeah. of reasoning in the abstract, right. Take interpolating a bunch of abstract principles. And that's kind of what. So interpolating the legislator pure needs to be more, a more super
1: Hercules because they yeah. need to do it at a level of abstraction and
0: generality that, that courts would, would try to avoid. Actually. Right. So it, when I'm thinking about like how I want to what I, what meaning I want to send on to courts and adjudicators, I've got to think about all these other meanings from these other statutes and I've got to interpolate them all to figure out how they bear on this one. Whereas a court making a new principle uh in deciding a case is looking at how those principles applied in a lot of other real cases it's just a different it's just a different enterprise
1: or you know, we we think of it as a different one yeah. like it, it does sound like we'd be asking legislators to be more like judges this so so um there are, there are, there are ways in which this paper and I'm, I'm sure you didn't write it with this in mind how how could you uh, but but there this was joe miller catnip at the at a pretty <laughs> at a pretty ninja level because <laughs> Like just a page after you give me a nice two by two table, even yeah. if it was somewhat jocular in its uh, content of sort of. There's pink.
0: more to that table, I have to say, than Paging I let a, on in okay. the in the paper because um, it does in like it shows you like the it shows you the rationality of taking different interpretive theories under different conditions. Mm. Like you can't like it would be unreasonable to be an original public meaning originalist if this is the lay of the land kind of thing
1: with with a lot of these right. many more of these statutes than I have a feeling you think we have
0: yeah I mean I I'm not sure how many we have I'm not willing I, I I'm just observing it's a, a kind point. of a conceptual problem with a certain class right. of statutes and, and the magnitude of that effect I'm not as sure about and I don't want to make any claims about But
1: enough about you, I want to tell you what I think of you, <laughs> um, which is that um, I like. there's not only the two-by-two table. Yeah. I turn the page and now in, there's a footnote citing to a paper I've been thinking about since page one. Oh. Right, which is Harlan Stone's Common Law of the United States, yeah. this 1936 paper Yeah. Um. Uh, a, about the fact that we can look to statute judges mm-hmm. can and should, I think he argues, right. look to statutes as stating legal principles uh, that are every bit as important as uh, and as on a par with uh, cases. Right. Which at the time in 1936, I think was a pretty offbeat perspective. That was a pretty weird
0: and it's it, getting to be more offbeat again.
1: It is getting to with, be. With the
0: rise of textualism and originalism. And, and,
1: and especially public choice theory. It's right. A, it's a, a very much an anti-public choice theory uh, point of view. But but so Stone lays this out uh, and um, and at, by that point, he's been a justice for about 10 years. So he's, it's interesting. That should, he's we,
0: should we put a little more meat on this? So, so the suggestion is that instead of reading a bit of statutory text and getting out dictionaries and, deci- and, and say- saying, how does a statutory text work computer-like to translate an input data of, you know, a dispute into an output data of a judgment, right? Instead, what you should see that statute as is, is like telling a kind of abstract story that will be like a case that you will put together with other abstract stories which are other cases in order to reach a result in this kind of dworkinian let's ronald dworkin kind of way like i will right. think about the principle that this statute stands for and other principles and through a common law interpolation mechanism i will think about how what what principle best vindicates our deepest values a variation on that would be that might that i bring to my understanding of the
1: text of the statute the details of which matter yeah is in the, the fact, same way
0: that the facts of a case matter. Of course, yeah, that, yeah. The,
1: the that the, the the statute in addition to those details participates in a broader conversation mm-hmm. about law and the fabric of the law. And yeah. the statute is part of it, so are the cases, so are the other statutes, so are constitutions. I think about
0: Calabresi's common law for the age of statutes and and Eskridge's idea of bonded interpretation, but both of these are ideas that the, that the that the court should be in conversation with the legislature. And this kind of idea about how to treat statutes facilitates that conversation.
1: Indeed, and right. I think Stone laying it out at the time and place that he did is a significant development in the in the self in in the self aware nature of this dialogue that right. can go on. Um, again, sitting where he was, right? He's he's an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. It's not a minor position to hold right. Right. in the legal hierarchy, and he's trying to articulate this. and Had been the dean of Columbia Law School and. Uh, you know, successful private practice, Sullivan and Cromwell, and, you know, an important legal figure, and he's sort of laying this out. Um, And I love that paper, and I've been thinking about it since virtually the first page of your paper because there's a sense in which this discussion about a present thing having a future effect Mm -hmm. and the the cost cognitively and the potential difficulty it might pose, um, it seems to me you could have that you could have a whole book which is about this theme and you pursue it in each of these domains like it it makes you, it could make you think about you know how much do I want to say in this case knowing that later on I or some other judge is going to have to try to make sense of it right in a new context yeah um and so the norm about the less said, the better in the common law world, like ha- right. this could be partly an explanation. Yeah, it's kind of, of like that, right? if you think
0: about Dworkin's chain novel metaphor, which is another metaphor that it's like when I'm writing chapter five of A Christmas Carol. I should be aware that there will be a chapter six. So it's not just about the person who writes chapter six, taking account and making an interpretation of chapters one through five. And that that's the essence of judging, right? Is to make an interpretation of what came before that. that But it's also to be
1: mindful of the future. chapters. Yes.
0: So so don't try to, don't box the future author in right. Don't, but also give the future author enough so that there is something that they can, (laughs) there's an interesting place to take this story. Don't
1: box them without a really good reason. Right. Um. Maybe. (laughs)
0: <laughs> or, or maybe not at all. Like, don't do it at all. But it just shows do that do like do there's, a, there's a bi-directionality. There's yeah. an interpretation of what came before and a mindfulness about, a, about the future that an author has. And in I writing. think
1: any – and in a sense, you know, e- even statutes that don't – and I think the paper acknowledges this um, – you know, even a statute that doesn't on its face uh, – or, or even under its face uh, um, purport to affect future <laughs> statutes. The, the, this is why I started thinking of, of, of um, stone's paper immediately. Right. Because in a sense, every statute is a submarine mm-hmm. uh, in that it, it affects the law yeah. and, and every, every new statute it enters a
0: law in, in the middle of the, does it surprise you that I cited HLA Hart to deal with that objection?
1: Um, it's not an objection. It's an observation and but no, an it doesn't surprise that, me to, but, you, but it's
0: an objection to the idea that there's something special about this class of statutes, right? That, that every statute, like every time a legislator acts, it's with, it, it, it's without an ability to predict the future. And so the, to the extent that you say what, what the, that a legislator should be allowed to accomplish a purpose that goes too far. Because you can't predict the future, and right. there li- and as as Hart puts it beautifully, there are limitations of fact and aim. Yes. because we are humans and not gods. Yes. Right, we we are limited and, in our ability to know what's true, and limited in our right. ability rationally to aim at particular purposes. And so. it and
1: it may sound like a criticism, but it's not a criticism. It's simply it's simply an acknowledgement that um, uh, and and Hand says this in a famous patent case of, about uh, uh, the development of adrenaline uh, as an administerable drug. Um you know differences in degree can can become differences in kind, and, yeah of and, course and so and 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 these uh submarine statutes rifra um and others, the dictionary act, although there are reasons to think that that's framed uh and located in a way that makes it less costly and right. maybe even potentially beneficial um that that these are differences in degree from every statute ever, right. Um, but maybe differences to such a degree that they've become differences in yeah, kind yeah i try also and, to and say and i think that's i think that's right, right. they I are also, different in kind
0: i i try to say that they're different in kind not just because of the degree of the degree but also because they explicitly couple with future statutes yes right and and it's that coupling that it's not that that's wrong like every our, the the less this able we are Stone's the point, less though. able we are to predict the future the more that there is this Uh, the more there is a potential critique of legislators as decision makers, right? Like, so, you you know, you're the, the extent to which an instance of legislation is a rational act of decision-making depends on lots of things. One thing it depends on is our ability to predict the future and our ability to like have preferences about the future. And if in a chaotic world where you just can't predict what's going to happen from one moment to another, a legislator is not doing anything rational, you might as well be flipping coins, right? And so the farther you get towards it, but also the more there is coupling, right? The less that anything they say, even if you can predict the future, like just generally, maybe we could predict it with hundred percent certainty, right? But if what you can't do is take account of all of the submarines and the way that they're going to couple with what you're going to do, then you can't be sure of what the meaning of what you say is, not just how it will be interpreted in the future. But, but when, when I it it actually talk, is it's coupled. right now, like exactly. the moment I say it. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the that's the qualitative distinction that I try to draw, even though you might have both kinds of objections. It's it's just that, that degree objection to legislation is going to depend on that degree. It's going to depend on the degree to which we can actually hit an aim or take account of facts. Whereas I think the coupling one doesn't. It's just it's it, the, the coupling critique of submarine statutes is just that the more of these things you have, and depending on how they are gathered and what they say, the more of a problem you're gonna have, irrespective of, or 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 uh unrelated to limitations of fact and aim. Hmm.
2: Okay. Um I, th- but, but I th- both are true. I think it's an I, I think it may be I think it may be an implication
1: of Stone's approach to treating statutes as sources of law on a par with cases that the, that difference between express coupling of this statute to all the future statutes mm-hmm. and writing any statute at all. Right. The, yeah. the the gap between those two things is smaller. The more seriously you take his point, right. That all statutes should be treated as law sources on a par with cases.
0: right? Right. Um, as, pr- as as establishing principles that have to be interpolated rather than clean slate. Yes, I mean, yeah, yeah. because yeah, and
1: every new entry has to be yeah. brought into the stable of right uh, of the existing stuff in right. a way that makes the best sense of it. And and so me, if you take his point, point, I think your paper is reveals this about his point that when you talk about the way in which we'd be asking legislators to be judges. Mm-hmm. Right. That if you his point about statutes, right, if you then took it back to the the, the legislative chamber and you said to legislators, what do you think this means for you? Mm-hmm. Right. They I think they might say, well, I need to know a lot more about what he and people like him are going to do. Right. If this is what they think we're doing, it right, it affects what we want to do next, how they're going to receive it and and use it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a, a sense in which – or it's an argument for um, something I I think is true on lots of grounds. So I suppose it's not surprising I will think it's congenial because I can m- make it fit this way. But, but this is a sense in which to me, you know, even if we would never talked about the absurdity canon before in human history, we would w- – the day we need it, we'll make it because all of these things have to be defeasible – in the face of a set of facts that, that highlight the idea, well, we can't have meant this for this scenario, right? We, we're Mm -hmm. trying to make reasoned outcomes, not arbitrary craziness. So the day we find out that interpreting it that way leads to arbitrary craziness is the day we'll interpret it some other way,
2: right? (laughs) Because
1: we're not prepared to live under that arbitrary absurdity. Right. Um, uh, and that, that, Ultimate defeasibility is another, I think, another manifestation of the sense in which judicial operation is ultimately the end point here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Legislators can't – because they're not the ones actually applying the general forward-looking standard to a given set of facts, they're not the ones who are ultimately going to have to give a thumbs up or thumbs down at that moment. Well, you can't mean that here.
0: Well, things don't come up naturally to them. They have to call hearings and they hear they can hear stories which are like cases through hearings, right? Right. But there's, they're really manipulable, right? It, it gives you, Courts lack a kind of agenda-setting authority that Congress has. And that very lack of agenda-setting authority is what can make it say, this is, un, this is intolerable. Whereas if it, could, ref, you know, if it yeah. could refuse to hear any disputes of this kind, then it could say, well, we're going to work on this for a while and then we're going to work on that yeah. more like legislatures do.
1: But the very way in which... Courts are just sort of taking each one as it arrives and trying to apply what seem like the most relevant statutes and cases interpreting those statutes and other legal materials mm-hmm. um, when 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 they recognize that uh, what what it appears the statute means in that context is is uh, so arbitrary and crazy as to do violence to the very notion of recent decision making they say nope. Not gonna do it. Uh, that's really important. It's woven very deep into the fabric. I think. Cool. So it's a fun paper.
0: Is there anything else we should talk about before it, we break folks. up? No. Before we break up, that was sounded rather final, didn't yeah. it?
1: Show's over now. We're never <laughs> last episode. We're never having another episode.
0: How will we know when it's the last episode? You know, a lot of podcasts when they just end, there'll be a last episode, and you, and then they just don't record another one. Really. Yeah. And actually, we probably have people who think that because of this overcast problem. Our overcast (gasps) downloads are still off by like 60, 80% or something like that. Are you kidding me? No.
1: What do we do to get back our, our listeners? I, people
0: have to. First of all, people, if they, if you like the show, you should tell other people about the show. I mean, you can rate you us on iTunes and all that, but especially yeah. tell people who you yeah.
1: think already like the show when we're listeners. Yeah, <laughs> because exactly. they might have lost their, they might not yeah. realize you need to subscribe. And we, we've so we we been talking we get about Overcast from day one. We've been we've been touting you know, hyping Overcast it and
0: and it and it and it you know it messed us up
1: and it stabbed us right in the. Although face. Although mine has been
0: fine, like I never had a gap in getting the show. So I and. But other people have had to unsubscribe and resubscribe, yeah. in order in order to get it. But oh, rats. But people can rate us on you can rate us on iTunes without actually leaving a review. Cool, and people should do that, and Definitely and do that. Uh, but also get back to us at oralargumentpodcast at gmail com, uh, or, at oralargument on Twitter, oralargument on page. Facebook. Yeah. Uh, you can also just find us on the street, and um, hey. I think give Joe a big hug and no. tell him how ah! much you. I think you know we do. You know I, I, this will be like the X show in the row that I'll talk nth. Really, I think I should use n for integers. But the nth show in a row that I am talking about Oral con, But at Oral Arcon, I think we should have a a hug session where people get to hug Joe. Maybe we'll raise charity but, funds with it because so people would pay. People would pay because of just how uncomfortable it makes you. I think, and then we could we could put the money to a good cause. Okay. On that note. This has been great. I, I did want to talk about this. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it another time. I'm really interested in this. Um, well, I have a lot of complicated feelings about what's happened this week with, the, mm. with Syria and um, the chemical attacks and now the response from President Trump. We're not, we don't have time to get into it. I actually have to go. Okay. But, Can I uh, see something? On little... Just Security, there's been a nice set of posts by um, uh, Marty Lederman Marty and, and Harold Coe. Oh, taking nice. opposite sides of the issue on on the legality of the of the of the missile strike on yep. international grounds and domestic grounds, and I would love to chat about it. We're not going to chat about it today, but I, maybe I will include those in the show notes just so people will see them.
1: Okay, and I will just say one thing that is uh, my final point about the delightfulness of your citation to Harlan Stone's Common Law of the United States <laughs> in footnote. Uh, 55. Oh oh my gosh. On page 15. Oh boy. I believe I've got that right. Um, (laughs) It made a big impression on me. Um, Some people think my dog Harlan is named after Justice John Marshall Harlan, the elder or the younger. We need to clear
0: this up immediately. What is the the truth of this? I
1: view this as as absurd uh, because of course Harlan is the family name, not the given name of Justice John Marshall Harlan, the mm. younger, and the elder. Mm-hmm. My dog Harlan is named for Harlan Fisk Stone, okay. which I think is self-evident and obviously true. Um, <laughs> and uh, it comports with that being Stone's uh, given name, not his family name. Harlan mm-hmm. Miller's given name is Harlan. And is Harlan Miller the Stone's dog's last name? name is
0: Harlan? Hmm? I remember the first time I think I had a dog on my own and took it to the vet, and, yeah. the, and they asked me, what is the dog's last name? And I think, you know, I think Meredith was with me and she's like, um, dog. <laughs> like, what? Like, what? No, it's your family what? name. You have to. I, I I know that now that that is a, that's the way that it, that it works. It just seems. And one reason why this is, why this but, is, but also this it comes up a lot it, yeah. now
1: is because it's in computer records for all, all, all of these vets have computer records. The CVS, I buy prescriptions for one of my two dogs mm-hmm. that needs medicines and those, all those computer records use my family name as the mm-hmm. dog's family name.
0: Right. And certainly we think of the dog as part of our family. Yeah. Our dog is part of our family. So and
1: Harlan Miller, my dog, is named for Harlan Fisk Stone. proudly.
0: Interesting question, though, about our relation to animals and whether they are kind of companions with their own identity or, or we are able to have them as part of the family in kind of a, you know, patriarchal or matriarchal relationship, in which case they don't have it. In it. So, all right. So I'm not going to keep I'm not going to keep on. You know what I'm getting at? No. Well, I mean, yeah, All right. I I really do have to go, and I don't want to. I don't want to start down this this okay. road. But I uh, was
1: just trying to share that my dog Harlan is named for Harlan Fiskstone. Stone.
0: But you see, and you want to you want a big foot all over that. Is, I don't really understand why. Because but, everything in the universe is hitched to everything else, Joe, and I want to take it to the next orbit.
1: Okay.